listening to The Woke Agent. I'm your host, Tiffany Jarvis. I'm a local real estate agent in Lexington, Kentucky. And this is the podcast where I talk to my friends in the business about how they run their business, their opinions, their outlook on the industry ahead, and just generally how they stay woke in this crazy business. We do deals with these people every day. We know nothing about them, and I am here to change that. My guest for today is a friend of mine. He is the nicest guy in the real estate business. It's Sheridan Sims, y'all. Hey, hey. Hey, hey. I'm so excited that you're here. Thank you for having me, (laughs) Tiffany. I really do appreciate it. So exciting. Okay. You used to be the recruiter at Keller Williams. Sure, sure. I'm not sure the official title of that job, but you also chief bottle washer, babysitter, all therapist. The above. Yeah, when you when you yeah. work with real estate agents, it's a little bit of everything. The oh, the classic titles, yeah. team leader, uh, team leader, a little bit of everything. So when I first met Sheridan, he was the team leader at the Keller Williams office, uh, Greater Greater, Greater Lexington, Lexington. Um, and I'm assuming you were selling real estate at that time too. But man, you you stopped doing that role. Um, you stop being a general therapist to people <laughs> like me, and then you you started selling, and you built a team, and you are killing it. I like, appreciate that. I see you everywhere on Facebook. Um, tell me why you decided to stop doing that recruiting and babysitting and all that, and decided, you know, I'm going to get back into this. I'm going to be a team leader. Sure. Well, it's uh, it's a great lead-in with the name of your podcast, The Woke Agent. Um, you wanted to be welcome to my wokerage. That's right, the wokerage. I yeah. love it. I love it. No, I think honestly, for me personally, it was just a personal decision. Um, I've been in sales my entire life. Uh, took the role. Was very, very thankful for the experience. Uh, I've been in management roles before, and at the heart, I'm production based. Uh, I want to be turning, burning, working with people all along, but um, unit based as well, and. Uh, I learned a lot in the role, uh, but I think as I continued to meet with more and more agents, I quickly realized there's a lot of opportunity getting left on the table out here. Uh, so much like the name of your podcast, you know, maybe <laughs> I got woke to the idea that uh, there's a lot of business out here for people um, to really, you know, capitalize on. So who took over that role that you left? Um, so in that position, there was a woman named Emily Doyle who came in behind me and um, through, you know, some time in the seat, she realized it wasn't the best thing maybe for what she wanted to do personally. So Marianne Morris is currently the team leader. She's the uh, broker? She's the too? broker and okay. the team leader. Marianne Woo. is, uh, she's my hero. She's one of my favorite <laughs> people I've ever met. She, uh, she and I have been friends since I came to Keller Williams. Uh, and she's doing a really phenomenal job. Uh, when you're in that position running a market center, a lot of people don't realize what all goes into that, uh, especially at a company where, uh, you know, we do have a capped model as far as what agents pay in. So, you know, you are running on thinner margins than maybe a traditional brokerage might. So you really have to get creative and strategic. And uh, I will say this, it groomed me very well to come out and run my own real estate business. That company seemed to grow and grow and grow, and I'm sure you had a big part in that. Um, I don't know. It it start. I think the company opened when I was first starting, mm-hmm. 2015, something like that. That would have been when the Greater Lexington office launched, and then they had opened the Keller Williams Bluegrass office, which is on Harrisburg Road, probably about 13 years ago in total. So uh, they realized quickly that there was a need to have crosstown Another you know, one. Uh, you know, opportunities for people to be on either side of town because we know Lexington at certain hours of the day, uh, it might not make sense to drive all the way across town. So they opened the other one. Uh, but it's neat because, you know, each office is independently owned and operated. But I think it's really cool because, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, everybody throws around the Kool-Aid term, right? Like you're over there drinking the Kool-Aid, which I'm not a huge fan of, but I think what is neat, or should I say and what is really neat, uh, everybody is always willing to lend a hand. And I think the neat thing that ties all the offices together is that profit share piece. Uh, So we do share profits with not the agents, but it's from the brokerage itself shares profits with the agents for the agents who help the company grow. So I think that's kind of like a, that's something neat, right? It's an add on, like the company's willing to share some of its profits. So for me, that's what's kept me there. 
Um, prop I shares. was going to ask you, um, I've got the question of, you know, why you chose the brokerage that you are at. You've, sure. you've never been in another brokerage, I have, right? Actually, you have. Yeah. So okay. I spent some time uh, at Bluegrass Sotheby's, which I really, really enjoyed. I didn't know that. Um, I was, so when I started real estate, because I saw one of the questions was kind of what did we do before and then yes, getting into tell it. me about your life before. <laughs> uh, Sales-based. I mean, I, I graduated college in 2012. Uh, I had been working as an intern for a company called Around Campus Media, uh, formerly University Directories. So we sold door-to-door print and online advertising. So that, that sounds fun and extremely difficult. So. It uh, it got me used to the word no and uh, f you and other yes. things when you knock on people's doors, right? You know, you got used to it. Uh, so hopefully that's uh, uh, allowed for me to you know to share real experiences uh, as far as what I've been through. But I think. Um, when I started that, it realized I quickly got used to the word no, but I also realized if I was willing to not let no deter me that I could get past those first three or four that it takes. Right. I think sometimes people says, uh, the quicker you can get to know, the quicker you get closer to yes. Right. So for me, uh, that was what I did for my last year and a half of college. Uh, when I graduated, they knew obviously I didn't have to be in classes anymore the next semester. So they offered me a full-time position as an area sales manager. So I got to manage three states, 16 schools, and about 56 interns who had done the same thing I'd been doing the year before. So you were well rehearsed in being the babysitter and the therapist. (laughs) And so three years later, you joined Keller Williams. Yeah. So uh, sold um, IT security for a year after the online advertising. I love it. I love all the weird. (laughs) We all have these really weird. I sold airplanes for a time. Did you really? It's it's a widget. It takes you know? what it it's takes, like, right? It's just like selling a house. It's insurance and airplanes and marketing. You know, it's it's just selling a widget. Like, What's the biggest airplane you ever sold? Um, they were, it could be anywhere from 50,000 to over a million. They wow. were the small, the small planes. Like private, private type private planes. Private planes, right. That's awesome. So it, I know who was. I can come to. You're the, you're no, the don't you, come I can to come me. to you when I need to get my plane. <laughs> don't come to me. <laughs> so you um you've built this new team. It seems relatively new. Maybe it's not as new as I think. Um it's in the past year. Yeah. Um so fast forward through, you know, the real estate part. I started on a team. I actually worked with uh two women named Jen Pullins and Laura Ratliff, and we were on the Jimmy Nash Homes new construction account. So um, I owe a a large part of my quick education in the business to both of those women. Uh, In addition, uh, Jimmy Nash being a a mentor prior to real estate and then also once getting into real estate from a development and a construction side, that man is a genius. I mean, luxury, luxury home. He knows what he's doing. Yeah. Um, and, And I think when I got into real estate, I got to get a very good lesson in the compliance side because Laura had been doing it at that time for I think eight or nine years. And so she, I mean, she could be a broker. She knows. She's still selling, isn't she? She still sells. Yep. Her and Jen uh, are still with Sotheby's. Uh, I believe Laura's on the Jimmy Nash account. We still keep in touch. I'm actually having lunch with Laura this afternoon. We, uh, we talk about investment properties and Airbnbs and I think her and her husband are getting ready to convert a long-term rental to an Airbnb. So uh, again, to your point, we work with these people all the time, right? We don't so, know anything about them. It's 30 days and they're done and they're yeah. out of our lives. And I'm, I'm trying to stay in touch with the good people that I enjoyed working <laughs> with and trying to find out, you know, who are you? Who yeah. are you, Sheridan? <laughs> uh, <laughs> so you asked about the team, right? Um, so we, we in February, I went out individual production. Uh, I had seen in that market leader, team leader position, or market center team leader position, rather, um, you know, all the ins and outs of the way teams were ran. And I think the the short answer is the best way to run the team is obviously keeping profit in mind, right? And then are you helping other people make more money? That's but you were want. just Sheridan in mm-hmm. the beginning, just Sheridan sales real estate That's in right. the beginning. It was, and uh, then the Sims group is what we, you know, we called it. It was me and an admin. We had, okay. I had uh, either subcontracted and administrative aid through, you know, a, um, you know, a la carte, if you will, like okay. a, a per deal basis. Yes. Uh, and then we, uh, there was a gentleman that I had, had had a part in recruiting. Uh, his name's Andrew Wilson. He's one of the catalyst partners. Uh, we founded that together. Um, Andrew's always had an engine, uh, and a motor very, uh, it's like looking in a mirror when I see, you know, the go, go, go. Um, and so he and I, 
you know, I'd watched Andrew get approached by several teams saying, hey, I want you to be my buyer's agent. Okay. And uh, I know there's different personality types that respond differently to certain things. And like to him, that was a turnoff. Like I literally watched people that would come up and say, hey, you should be a buyer's agent. You should be, you know, you should come work with, you know, I'll give you some buyer leads. And, you know, Andrew had aspirations of building kind of his own thing. He wanted to be a buyer list, yeah. invest, work it all. It's all in and framing. you should. And I think what what I approached him with was, you know, hey, would you partner with me? And I think it's crazy how just one word can change the entire oh, totally. context of, you know, the next, you know, now several months, but, you know, hopefully long tenured relationship. But, you know, it's one word, partner. As opposed so to work you for. are co-owners of yeah. this team. There's actually a third crazy there member. There is a third. There is. Yeah, I do know him. He's a he's a mysterious agent. No, Dustin Warren. <laughs> um, Dustin had been on a team. Uh, he went out on his own, uh, and he's a lot like Andrew and I. I mean, we've all got high energy, high motors, and we're all three. We all three generate leads for business in completely different manners, which I think makes us kind of like a triple threat, if you will, right? Oh, my God. Let's talk about that. <laughs> let's talk about it. So traditional team model, the Keller Williams model that I'm used to everyone talking about, everyone knowing, you know, and maybe this is old. You're the team lead. Sure. You are the rainmaker. You handle all the listings. And Andrew would be your buyer's agent. Dustin would be your secondary buyer's agent. Um, is that is that your team model, or is are you and is the company in in a whole kind of going away from that? Um, so I can't speak for everybody else because I know there's you know there's a million different ways to get to where certain people want to run their business right but that old traditional model is as you alluded uh, level one would be individual producer and actually a lot of people skip ahead different steps through that right that model uh, which again is a, a buzzword you know I always I always make fun of ourselves at Keller Williams it's kind of like uh, the show mash right we've got acronyms for everything yes um, you do and once once I understood why those were uh, it's more just so we can have uh, more efficient levels of conversation so I can move through, right? But when uh, when we started forming it, uh, yes, traditionally it goes individual agent, then you're looking to hire an admin, and then you're looking at getting a transaction coordinator and then bringing a buyer's agent. So you actually... It causes me anxiety. Well, and I think the big thing behind that, again, is like what, what our focus was is partnering with one another is profit, right? You want to lead with revenue. So, so you weren't necessarily looking for Andrew to come along and just take all your buyers. And absolutely not. You were looking for someone that can run his own business, and he could be a producer on his own. Sure. But, you know, you were like, well, let's partner and, and share you know, share this. Exactly. I, I think, you know, uh, uh, going back to the acronyms piece, right? There's the Y4C2Ts, which is the basis right. of culture. And I'll, I'll, uh, I'll send you a graphic so you can share that with the people who are on the Stay Woke. But at, at the very bottom, the very last T is together, everyone achieves more, right? Which is also the acronym we've seen forever for team. Um, and so in our mind was uh, an option. And Dustin, we wanted Dustin to be a part of the team long before we even approached him uh, as a part of that. Uh, but it, it took some time, right? Because everybody has to get to that certain place where they're ready to do something. For us, though, it was a chance to run our business in a way that we had all seen others run it and maybe thought we would do something a little bit differently. And it's not saying anybody's right or wrong in doing it, right? I, if, if somebody can go sell real estate and make money, I'm a fan of that, right? Uh, but for us, it was a chance to share expenses, yes. share ownership, and then also it's a lot like, Tiffany, you don't work for me. You work with me. And I like this. You have, um, you have three very strong-minded individuals. It's not always going to be something where, you know, because w would you enjoy saying, uh, you know, I'm Tiffany Jarvis of the Sheridan Sims Group? No, I would not. And that's your personality type, right? Um, but that's me. I mean, you know, some I'll, some days when I'm, selling and selling and I haven't had time to eat and I'm like you know what part of me thinks it would be wonderful to just be a buyer's agent for some random person and they hand me business and I don't have to go after it and I'll give them 50 percent that sounds great some sure. days but at the end of the day I would be so difficult to work with that I <laughs> I couldn't do it. I, I think you're hitting the nail on the head. Like I think a lot of the people who are high producers in our business are self-drivers, self-motivators, and they have a hard time working for somebody. That's probably why they got into real estate. But your team, our 
three people like that mm-hmm. that are working together? It, it it involves, I think it all boils down to regardless if you're 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 uh, built for being a you know a having a job or running a business. It all boils down to communication. So for us, the most important part that we have to focus on is constant communication. And if you have three strong-minded personalities, you got to be willing to say, hey, like, I'm not a fan of that, or I think we need to have a conversation about that. And on the other side of that, you have to be okay with that person checking you to say, let's talk about what we're doing here. Uh, But it helps because, you know, we kind of have, we just hired uh, a full-time assistant who's working with us. Her name's Amanda. Uh, She's phenomenal. She started the first. Okay. Um, So she will be... Uh, in the interim, she's taken over, you know, transaction coordination. Is she virtual or she's in your office? She's in the office. She's a okay. real living, breathing human being who is <laughs> spending her days with us, uh, as crazy as she may be, to kind of jump on board and jump in the middle of us three. Um, okay, but, okay. Let me ask you. Okay. Right. This Keller, I have interviewed at many, many Keller offices in my day. Mm-hmm. And I just talked to, um, I, I we did an education class at, at my brokerage yesterday and there were four of us, and I was talking about the disc. Oh, yeah. And none of them had taken it before. And I was like, what? Like, how does that happen? You're you're in real estate. You you should know what your disc is. Sure. Is, or, or did you guys do that? Do you know what your disc is? And what about Andrew and Dustin and your assistant? When I think of that traditional Keller model, you would be the high D, you know, maybe Dustin and Andrew are the high eyes, mm-hmm. and then obviously your assistant is that high C. Sure. Um, so to answer your question, yes, people have everybody's taken a disc. Uh, in Several addition, times. Yeah. <laughs> um, so like I took uh, disc profiles because I studied sales and marketing in college. That was what I chose to get a degree in. So that was the entry into Chris Derry's sales and marketing as three or 400 level crafts. I can't remember. I just remember Chris Derry was an amazing teacher. He had us take the disc on day one so we could get a feel for, and he would actually partner the groups for group projects with different levels of knowing exactly what he was doing to throw the high C with the high D to maybe want to kill one another. Maybe the C just killed the D. Here's something weird for you. I am a high D, high C. Okay. I can see that. That's me. I can see that. Mine's DI. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm right there and it, it is, and mine has shifted a little bit. Um, as I've gotten more into production, I think that it's probably dropped my, uh, I guess it maybe even depend on when I took the test. My eye might fall out a little bit if I've been working, you know, a string of open houses. But, uh, in addition to that, we've taken, um, and another assessment again, going back to, you know, that Keller Williams model, everybody has their own version. We have the Keller personality assessment and kind of the backstory on that is there was a gentleman named Bain Henyon who came alongside Gary Keller several years ago who helped form the KPA because, uh, my, my belief on it, I'd have to go back and look, but is that they were paying a lot of money to have these assessments tested for everybody across the board and they weren't real estate specific. And so the KPA so is based the, on the Tony placement. Robbins. The disc wasn't necessarily. It isn't. It's not necessarily real estate, and it's Correct. free. So I don't know if you know. Well, and and I think for their intents and purposes was if we wanted to have the top hundred people of all these different positions, right? If it's a buyer's agent, if it's a administrative assistant, if it's a director of operations, if it's an inside sales associate, what about that person? ranks on this scale, right, that would okay. qualify them. So um, you asked about, like, when we were taking those, uh, hiring somebody, I watch people hire people out of pain over and over and over. And I made a promise to myself and Andrew and, and then eventually Dustin, once he joined us, that we would hire out of gain. Um, what does that mean? You get so busy that then you hire? You rush into a hire. You say, this will just have to work. We'll figure it out. And, um, that oftentimes can yield in turnover. Um, and you know, there's a, the former CEO of, of, uh, KW international, John Davis was, he coined the phrase amongst team leaders and market centers that, um, when hiring somebody, you can either do the work on the front end or you're going to do it on the back, cleaning up whatever you made this rash, brash hire that you just had to have, and then you're going to clean up the mess of what you could have done if you did your due diligence on the front end is the way I interpreted that. Um, So we actually put out ads on Indeed and Facebook 
Uh, we had 142 applicants oh my for gosh. a full-time assistant. Uh, on those services, to help weed that down, uh, they can take a test where they have to complete a attention to detail test. Well, of the 142, 43 people that signed up, roughly 60% completed that. So that eliminated 40% yes. off the top. It's like when you apply for a job at UK and you give up. That was me. I used to just, <laughs> I'm like, I'm not going to go any further with this. I'm done. So, And I think for us, yeah. we really wanted to make sure whoever that was was going to be a good fit for the position. And then once we identified what our KPAs looked like from the personality assessment alongside of that to make sure I need to know how I best communicate with you, but you also got to know how you best communicate with me. So you're almost looking for kind of the opposite of what you are. Absolutely. For sure. I, I need to go You're not looking for a, someone to come in as your assistant that says, Sheridan, I want to work my way into being an agent. Sure. Because that's two totally different people. And and I think that if somebody were in that role and self-discovered that they wanted to be an agent, man, would they be well-equipped to Which come straight me. into production? Which was me. That was me, really? by the way. I used to be a real estate assistant okay. to a $30 million team in Nashville. And I thought, well, I'm going to move to Kentucky and I want to be a realtor. And there were brokerages that told me that, you know, you're not, you're probably not going to be able to do this. You're, everyone's going to want you as an assistant. How about that little fire under your hind end, didn't it? Well, I joined a team and, you know, it, I was done. I was just hooked. Um, so it can happen. Absolutely. I think for us, when we hired, when we went through that hiring process, we eliminated 40 off the top, uh, 40% off the top. Uh, additionally, we had them take the KPA. Uh, of the KPAs, uh, we had 32 completed, uh, which I was actually surprised with because it's an hour-long assessment. So 32 people lot. cared enough of the 60% of the 140. Um, so that, what's that, like 80-some-odd people? So you had about a half conversion on people who actually took the assessment. I'm a kind wow. of a numbers geek. I don't like you know uh, the process uh, of putting all the numbers together, but I'm interested by the percentages and watching them. I am too. Them. Um, so then also uh, when we went through that process – uh, we got through 32 of those. Then we did phone screens, and we narrowed it down to nine. Uh, so we got nine people that. So we So you're looking with. for someone that's good on the phone, correct? Probably comfortable. Want to hear on the what phone. it was like, the tonality. You know, pick up the phone because that person is going to talk to a lot of people. Yes, they're going to talk to our home inspector. They're going to talk to the lender. They're going to talk to uh, the appraiser. They're going to talk to other agents. And if that's right. going to be an extension of me, do they talk to your clients? Yes. And they, uh, yeah. they, they will ask for certain things. Now, they, there's, a, there's a hard line that we draw as far as it relates to within the ethics and the law piece of the real estate as far as negotiating anything. That person's not licensed. In our world, they're not. Other people may have it where they're licensed and they can have those conversations. Ours is more for the conversations piece of, hey, we need to get this turned in. We're just checking in on this. You know, Tuesdays we call sellers. Thursdays we call buyers. And just give updates. Here's where we're at in the process. Here's what we're waiting on from the lender. Here's what the lender's waiting on, what we've been told the lender's waiting on from you, et cetera. Okay. Um, But we want to make sure that because I place a high importance, I probably piss a lot of agents off because I actually call them. Uh, Never. (laughs) I'll call you. Uh, I'll call you twice. You know, I'm 30 years old, and I was trained by a, at the time when I was 19, 20, I was trained by a 64-year-old sales trainer. They want to talk on the phone. They don't want to text you. They want to hear your voice. He actually took sure. my phone and threw it across the room uh, when we were first meeting. He was like, you won't need that because you're going to learn to talk to me. He said, and the reason I did that is because there's that old dusty thing over there that a lot of your buddies probably don't know what it is. It's called a landline. You're going to pick that up, and I already got your list. You're going to run down and start making some calls. Uh, and so for me, like, that's just the way I was tra- raised, but I also have two self-employed parents. So Same. I've Same. watched them, and, I, I mean, I, I, my dad had a bag phone. What did they had, do? My dad did, too. What did, the, the, what did they do? So my dad's a commercial architect, and my mother owns a skincare clinic. In Lexington? In yep. My parents own a trucking company in eastern Kentucky, so I grew up like very blue-collar work, and and my parents don't even know how to, barely know how to use a a computer, so it's all about- They both know the value of picking up that phone and calling somebody, don't they? They do. That's how my parents built their business, for sure. Do you feel that your clients appreciate that? Out of you, that you're willing to call somebody? If they're um, an older generation, for sure. Absolutely. Um, And I'm, I'm working quite a bit of- of that generation right now, baby boomer type. Um, so yes, they, they don't want to text. They want you to call them for sure. Millennials like, like you and I, I could text them all day long and they like it. I was at an interesting, uh, 
training event where there's a gentleman named Peter Shabri. If you have a chance, look him up. Uh, he's a phenomenal agent out of Cincinnati in like the, the greater Cincinnati area. Um, but he's really big on the customer experience and he's really big on feedback and communication styles. And so he has a system when he takes on a new client, they actually tell him how they best communicate. Okay. And he asked them their preferred methods of communication. No one does that. You should. And I, I'm I'm a fan of it. And he also, what I took away from him is he asked their permission. So he gains permission before he takes action. Do I have your permission? There are going to be points throughout the transaction where we have to have a phone conversation. You've you've alluded to the fact that you love email and you love text, but there's no tonality in it. But there's also a, a barrier of things that I can accomplish in a 30 text message or email train that if we pick up the phone, I can solve that baby in 30 seconds. Just give me nice. just give me some phone time. And so I think for him, I took away from that is sometimes you got to set the expectation that we will be talking on the phone. It's like, I'm just going to tell you what to expect. Um, so I really, I, I enjoyed that piece. I took away a lot from that. And I, I find the same thing. A lot of people want to text and it's convenient. I think sometimes you got to be able to pick up the phone because how often have we ran into things where somebody may misconstrue or take something out of context. So let me ask you more about your team. Um, obviously we talked about the traditional way where you Mm -hmm. handle the listings and they would handle your buyers. Are you, how are you guys handling that? Are you working primarily listings or buyers or both? Um, are they kind of, are you all three working as regular individual agents, you know, like me, uh, how, how is this structured? So you caught me, uh, at a really, uh, a good time to have this conversation. We've been in the process of forming, uh, we started, uh, right when we first all gathered, made this decision, this is what we wanted to do mid October setting goals for 2020. The three of you? Yes. So okay. the three of us sat down started making our plans for 2020. A part of that was we had to have a full time assistant in place by November one. We hit that. Uh, and in addition, when we started setting out these uh, unit goals, because uh, I, I found it funny, and, and I want you to just uh, watch this as you interview people, ask people what their goals are next year, and you will hear the overwhelming response is, I want to sell $10 million, or I want to sell Not $5 million, or me. I want to do I, – I know you'd, you'd be, you would be different because um, you've got that personality, you're geared like that. I think the majority of people, though, they're like, I think next year I want to do $10 million, or – um, I want to make $100,000, right? And I'm okay with that number, but I would prefer somebody tell me what they want to net. Like, what do you want to take home? Like, that's to me the more important question. I am, I'm a very different model than than most people. I care more about um, number of homes. Sure. Right now I'm selling between 50 and 60 homes a year. Um, last year I wanted to sell 75 homes mm-hmm. this year, and I'm not going to hit that. But my production numbers went up. My average sales went up. So I guess I don't have to sell sure. 75 homes, but I would like to. Absolutely. You know, well, if I'm taking I could a look sell, at the net number, your net number went up, didn't it? Yeah. If I could sell 60 homes a year, that's what I would want to do. And Absolutely. I think the money will just be there if you're selling that many homes. Yeah. But my model is just helping as many people as possible, not necessarily you know, helping two people that are selling, you know, $5 million homes. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. And I have really, really high anxiety. And if I'm not busy that day, <laughs> I th- I'm like, I'm going to lose my business. Do you, do you tell yourself every day when you wake up that you're unemployed? Like you got to go I find am. something? I am. And, uh, you know, it's true. It's true. Are there days that you are, feel you're not very busy? Are there days that you're like, I have a day off? I mean, you ha- you're about to have a baby, so maybe you're going to enjoy those days eventually. But, you know, how do you deal with that? Uh, I think for me, I've always had a, an engine. And I think what anybody out there who has an engine constantly combats is, um, you know, there's a, there's a thing called bold in our, our coaching programs that one of the bold laws says, you know, do not mistake movement for achievement. And I, that hits, that resonates with me. That hits home because a lot of times, especially as an individual agent, you get so used to doing it all, doing everything. Like I'm, I'm running this, I'm putting signs, I'm, I'm dropping keys. I'm, I'm taking documents to the bank. I'm bringing stuff by the house and that's all fine. But when you get to doing 40, 50, 60 deals, don't I know it? It's hard, (laughs) right? It's very hard. And, hard. And that's the run. And it's like, okay, what's your dollar per hour? How much more would that be worth if I could have somebody who um, would be completely comfortable at 10, 15, however, whatever that dollar amount looks like per hour to do some of these activities? 
and I could go focus on helping that next family, right? Getting closer and edging closer to that next number that you want to hit. And I love that you think in terms of units because it's all a math number, right? I mean, for, to say $10 million, it's like, well, how in the world are you going to hit $10 million? Are you going to sell $10 million houses? Right, are you going to sell two $5 million homes? You yeah. know, not likely. And what's the plan behind that? But if you know personally you want to sell 75 homes, then you can chunk that down. You asked the question about buyers and sellers. Uh, right now, I work with both buyers and sellers. Um, it just depends on um, availability and flexibility within the group because if there's buyers that I'm working with, they immediately get introduced to Dustin and Andrew. So if I am tied up with another client or if I'm on a listing appointment, they can call me. I can kick it over to Andrew. Andrew can meet them or whoever's available at the moment. So that kind of power of three piece. Um, but your listings, are you co-listing? Let's say mm-hmm. Dustin gets a new listing yeah. and it comes from Dustin. Does he co-list with you or Andrew or how how does it work? So from a production standpoint, Elbar records their numbers one way. Um, Keller Williams records their numbers another as far as the okay. internal for profit share and all that. So we leave me uh, in the system. It's plugged in as me being Rainmaker. To me, that means nothing. It's a title that the system has to take on. But just from a sheer tracking standpoint, I am co-listed on anything and everything just so there's one singular place we can pull up and so see So you everything. might be the co-agent. You're not the primary. Mm-hmm. Like Dustin would be the primary mm-hmm. and you would be the co-listed. Yeah, especially if he generates the lead. Okay. And let's say somebody calls him. Let's say his friend Tiffany calls him and says, hey, I'm ready to list. Or we talked six months ago. I'm ready to do this. We'll put him in the, you know, the one hole, if you will. You know, if we're thinking about uh, batting order, right? He's going to be up top and maybe co's it with me. Okay. Uh, and so that way it's just, it's for tracking, right? So it's there, it's attached. Um, but he's going to be the lead agent on that. And I mean, honestly, even if it, to me, it's not about the title, it's not about what it is. It, it's, am I helping somebody and are we growing our business together? Okay. So important question, where, where is this business coming from? So it's funny that you asked that. Are I you, actually, to um, see someone that came from a door knocking situation, I would I'm terrified of that idea. There are people that are killing it. I'm a cold caller, and my business comes primarily from Zillow and cold calling. Absolutely. And referral. You know, I've only been selling for five years, so referral is starting to come in. Um, Where is it coming in from? you so we actually uh we're really big on looking at that as far as where that stuff's coming from so we know where is it best for us to spend our time so when i looked at my numbers this was a 2019 business snapshot up through uh the end of october and this is just you this is just mine now a few of these towards the tail end because starting in october andrew and i had worked a few together uh but the numbers included in here are basically what we have looked at as far as business sourcing so this is just a business snapshot and sourcing just to see where the business came from, because I'm sure as you've looked at your business, I got to know where I've came from to see where I'm going to go. So 17.5, so let's just call it 18% of my business came from past clients. 32 or 33% came from sphere of influence or people that I'd met. Okay. And uh, 12% came from allied resources. So right there. Referral. Yeah. uh, Mortgage, attorney, inspectors. I've gotten business from a home inspector. Okay. Uh, I've gotten business from contractors because I have some renovation, remodeling background. So uh, at that point, you know, I, I obviously can look at that and say, I'm relational based, right? which is crazy because like you said, I came from a cold call, door knock, which I'm not afraid to do. I will still do it. But looking at this, I grew up here. I have a huge You're from here, right. It I'm, makes I wasn't. There. My, and I've, I've talked to a lot of new agents. I'm trying to help new people coming into our office. Uh, you know, 87% of new agents fail. The yep. first year, they go back to their jobs. And I'm like, look, if I can do this, man, you can do this. Like, I came here with no contacts. I knew no one. I built a business from strangers. Um, you can do it. Mm-hmm. You know, pick up the phone. Pick up the phone. I love that. Pick but up that, the sometimes phone. Sometimes that phone feels like a It feels uh, like 20 pounds. It does. It's And I get major, major anxiety to do it. But... I used to cold call when I sold airplanes. That's all I did was cold call all day long. And I'd never even been in an airplane like that before. <laughs> so, you know, you just pick up the phone and talk to people. That's it, man. I mean, pe- there's there's three things people care about, right? And this is just the way I approach any conversation is they want to know, in order to gain business, do you care about me? Can I trust you? And can you help me? Yes. Do you care? Can I trust? Can you help? 
That's it. If I can yes. answer, if I can answer two of those three, I can get in the door. And if you give me thirty minutes in front of you, we can get to the third, and that's it. Right. You're so speaking my language, man. <laughs> so let's say you have you have a friend, um, random a, a rando person comes to you, and they're like, you know, Sheridan, I've been thinking about getting my real estate mm-hmm. license. What do you say to that person? My answer would be a question, no! right? <laughs> but I think, uh, you know, overwhelmingly, I think outside of our industry, a lot of people think it's easy because they've seen, and I think we're agents are to blame for that. And how I, do you, and ha- very important, how do you change this image that we are lazy and, you know, you just open the door. Why are you getting mm-hmm. paid for this? There are a lot of terrible, terrible realtors out there. there are. But look, there's a lot of terrible architects. Exactly. There's a lot of terrible airplane sales. Yep. There's there's crappy people and everything. How do we as an industry change this? Hmm. I love that question. Think I think about it. I think for <laughs> for our industry, at least at a hyper local level, right? I'm gonna talk Central Kentucky market. Yes. Um, I think everybody could do themselves a lot of favors by the way that they tell the story. Um, the sold in 30 seconds, the sold in 30 minutes. To me, all that's doing is setting a false expectation. And I know some people will probably go back and fact check when they listen. I have been guilty of posting those. I have too. And you know what happens? I go to that next listing appointment and their home doesn't sell in 30 minutes for whatever reason, right? What and, and people are like, well, what's wrong with my house? Exactly. Or what aren't you doing? And at that, it's like, I'm running the same system, the same play I did on that 30 minute house. But I think what happens is there's, that's a double edged sword. Agents see it. So they're going to say, well, Tiffany sells a lot of real estate. I'm going to post that because that might help me get more business. Well, no, like focus on the plan, not that end result. What did you do to sell that house in 30 minutes? And, and, and highlight that. Did you circle prospect? Did you have an open house? Did you put out 50 directional signs when maybe you put out three at an open house? Did you price it right? Yes. Or (laughs) did you reverse prospect it? You might have a listing that's expired before. I mean, I think uh, if you're not doing reverse prospecting, you're not doing your clients a favor, especially if you've got a listing that's failed before um, and you're taking over, right? You know, the only listing that has failed before for me is my own property. Is that? It's true. So I'm gonna cry, I'm gonna cry right here. <laughs> no, but I'll ask you. I, I want to ask you what advice you would give to a brand new realtor. You used to do this all the time. Yeah. You would help people start in the business. Um, what advice are you giving to these Look, people? Look, this is no no source of plug for a KW thing. It's no source of plug for any company thing. But, do it. But, but pick your training. <laughs> right. You want to get into the business. Why do agents fail? They fail because. They're not working. They're, they're, or... You know, they, they they don't have the, you know, I mean, I, I there's a gentleman named Bill Haggard who's in my world, uh, and, and I it, it, it reigns present in my mind. Uh, they fail because they don't have a profile for it, which would mean they don't have the personality for it. They, and I think a lot of people don't, and that's fine. That's okay. Like, that's fine. The world will still welcome you and accept you, and I will still be your friend. Tiffany will still be your friend. Right. But I think get the heck out of the way if you are not meant for this, because what happens is... There's a reason why there's so many for sale by owners. A, because people are telling that it's so, and this is, again, this is just my opinion, but everybody thinks it's so easy. I'll slap a sign in the yard. I'll figure it out. Um, But the, you know, don't have the profile, not made up for it. They can't build a team. And and just because you're a solo agent doesn't mean that you can't build a team. As a solo agent, you can have allied resources. You can have an insurance person. You can have a home inspector that you go to. You can have a lender that you work primarily with. It took me years to find that. Yeah. So, well, you got to find somebody yeah. that trust you trust your business with as much as you would trust yourself with it, and that's hard. Yeah. But I think that you, you're always building a team. But if you don't have the ability to do that, and you end up running in circles, eventually you're going to be like, "Well, crap." Because, I mean, bottom line, if you look across the board, what's the average? What's the average? And we're going to get down and dirty in some numbers real Let's quick. Do it. But what's the average <laughs> number of sales per year at our board per agent? Um, I would say. It, it's definitely under 25. Oh, absolutely. Um, average number across the average entire Average number of sales, uh, 12. I would say probably close, last time I looked, it's closer to six or seven per year across That's out the entire of 3,500 or so But you got, people. you know, in 2019 or 2018, excuse me, there's probably at least 600 people who didn't do a deal but had a license. So that number right. drags down. Right. But let's just say, for example's sake, let's just say the number was 10, right? It's round. Okay. Okay. 10 sales. What's average commission? Five thousand, 
5,500. So average price in, in Fayette County would be about 180, I think. All right, so 180 times 10 deals. That's $1.8 million. What's 3% of that? We're cranking some numbers here. Times 3% is 54000 Okay. That is the the average um, salary that a real estate agent makes is 40000 Now, that's nationwide. Yeah. I would say— Is that I, pre-split? I, that's take-home money. Okay. Yes, so post-split, okay. I guess. Okay, post-split. I talked to Greg Buchanan recently, the president, the current president of Elbar, and he said in Fayette County and well in Elbar, it's probably significantly lower. Absolutely, he believes it's probably thirty thousand or less. I completely agree with that, and I yeah. think that's what that's where there's a gap. And I would say anybody that's interested in real estate, the questions I would ask is, what do you do currently? What do you yes. love about that? And do you think you could run your own business? And could you be okay with making significantly less than your salary position? Because that's a gross number. I'll be honest. It's not a net. My background is in broadcast news. And if you would have told me that I could stop, you know, being in the news and I could make 40000 a year by selling real estate, I would have been, oh my God, sign me up. Like, right. I made $10 an hour, um, you know, working until midnight, I would have been over the moon thrilled for even 30,000, you know. So some people are like, man, I'd make a fortune in real estate, 40 grand a year. Well, I think it depends on what your financial (laughs) thermostat is, right? I mean, look at that. I see a lot of people who want to come from corporate world into real estate. And just because you had success in corporate America doesn't necessarily translate into real estate. Lots of those people, I have met those people, they can be extremely cold. And, um, I, I took a class yesterday, and I wish you would have been there. It was so – there was like four of us. So, you know, I'm, I've been to the KW classes. That whole damn room will be full of people. <laughs> we had four. And um, this guy was telling us about how he sells for sale by owners. And he is a brand-new agent. A year in, he doesn't spend any money. And he's like, I only work one county in specific, um, which is not Fayette. He calls for sale by owners. And I learned this model of how he does this. He goes in and he he brings a piece of paper with him. And he's like, I just go in and I start writing down everything that's wrong with their house. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wait, what? Can you imagine someone coming into your home and being like, I have literally never met you. And you're just like, you need <laughs> to trash paint. my house. You need to paint. You need to do this. You need to do that. You need a new roof. You need to do this. And he's like, you misled me on Zillow. You misled me. Have you ever thought about listing? And I was like, that model is so wild to me that people do it because I would, my feelings would be so hurt. <laughs> and I was like, it, it, Look, I'm spilling the tea here, man. I am spilling the tea with you. Um, I shouldn't be talking about this, but I was like, why Why don't you just show people some kindness? Yeah. And maybe a little bit of empathy. Like, I I don't know about you, man, but my opinion is like, I'm going to be around in 10 years, yeah. but I'm going to be nice to people yeah. and I'm going to care and I'm going to love on some people. And I don't know if that model is going to survive. Like... That, it to me, would be commercial and heavy, heavy investor. Mm-hmm. And I get that if that's what you want to work. But me, working old grandma, she ain't going to be receptive to that. No, and I think it shuts people down. Um, I think you, you and I, you and I have, you and I have similar personalities, I would believe, that it's more of let's warm up to one another. But when it comes down to it, we got to talk about numbers. And that's yes. not to say that we've ever mispriced something or that we've ever missed the mark. It happens, right? It does. And that's And okay. I'm the first one to admit, I will gladly call. I've done it. I've done it many times. I will have to put my foot in my mouth and yeah. be like, hey, my ego is not as important to me as selling your home. I listed you at 350 It didn't sell for a month. It was my fault. Yeah. I thought I thought the market said three fifty. It's selling us no. My ego is not big enough to sit here and tell you you need to drop it to you know three thirty. Yeah, and I think the refreshing part about that is is people respond better to that of you in essence falling on your sword. But again, like I think people need to take what we do more seriously. You are in charge of the largest financial 
sale or purchase or both of most people's lives high, that they'll high ever emotional. make. Emotional. Yes. And and you want to respond with text messages. And it's like that that's that's not how this works. Like do you think the top producing financial advisors do that? Do you think that the top producing insurance agents do that? Do you think that top producing anything does that? I mean, no, like we got to take it seriously. So, um I I think to your point there's a there's a there's a fine line of care and candor that has to go on in those conversations, and I'm gonna love on you, and we're gonna work through this because I again can I trust you? How can you help me, and do you care about me? I have to I have to win those three things before I'm even able to have that conversation because then again, agents always uh, I think are quick to give opinions. I'm guilty of it too. Same. Your clients will ask you what are your thoughts, and the quicker you can get away from giving thoughts and interpreting data, numbers, showings, and it. These are my interpretations. These aren't my thoughts because then it's an opinion, right? And then you can be held to that. Whereas, hey, the numbers show this is where we're at. Case in point, I got a new listing. Um, I've had five showings. And in the time that I've been on the market, now there is some new construction going on in the area. In that time, there's been six go pending. I've only had five showings. And I priced it where in a summer or spring market, We'd have probably been one of those sold You're by Sundays. You're speaking my language. I literally put my flip on the market. It was supposed to be done in August mm-hmm. before school. It wasn't done until September. Mm-hmm. It was a death sentence. Mm-hmm. It was priced lower than what stuff was selling in the summer. And now I've dropped and dropped and dropped that I I just took it off. I thought, I can't do this anymore. Are you rent my, it? I, maybe. Yeah. Um, I've I headed up for rent and I couldn't even I didn't even get that. That's a whole other conversation that we will have off this. <laughs> perfect, set. perfect. Off record. Perfect. <laughs> but so I feel you. It's 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 a lot of anxiety when you go to bed at night. I mean, are you like me that you're so your listing isn't selling? You've had five showings. Is your anxiety on another level? Like me? Are you panicking? Are you freaking out? Like I think for me, it's just a <laughs> reminder. Like yes, I'm always thinking about. Because I, I always want to see pendings instead of actives, right? I mean, that to me tells me that we're winning. But again, I want to see actives because that's a windshield number. That means that there's business coming, right? Rear view is pending, right? right and that, right. maybe it's in the car with me. It's not to, made it to the rear view, rear view yet because I still got to get to the table, <laughs> right. right? But um, I think for me, it's a chance for me to really, really, really focus on of those five people that showed it. And and I hope somebody listens to this. Give better feedback because Please. if you work with sellers, For the love of God. don't tell me that my house showed well. I don't give a crap that it showed well. I want to know why aren't you making an offer or when can I expect an offer? And give me something to go off of. I find, Of the five, I had three of those five send me house showed great. Continuing to look at properties. That's awesome, but that doesn't necessarily cut the mustard. I'm going to call me. you. Tell me if it smells like cat pee. I want to know. Well, here's a better question. <laughs> if it wasn't the one, what would make it the one? If it's priced at, let's say it's priced at 200 and you think it's high, right? What would make it worth 200 to your people? And have you ever, and I think just having to get creative, like, and that's the problem when you have a, uh, that is the opportunity. That's not the problem. That's the opportunity when you have a lot of newer or, uh, we'll call them greener agents or maybe uh, not I am guilty the box. of wanting to be so nice on my feedback that I give to people. I'm like, they liked it. It was really cute, but um, the smell was a little a little strong. And and I think like <laughs> if you have listings, the more listings that you take, you, you'll attest to this. I, I appreciate the brash feedback. Like be honest with me. Like shoot me straight because if I – as a listing agent – I want to be able to go back to that client and say, look, this is just what the feedback is. This we can't is, please everybody, but yeah. you need to know. And this is what the if, – if one person thinks it, then there's a chance that maybe somebody else has thought it. So let's just have the conversation. But, again, the question to me would be if that house isn't moving and somebody says, well, it, it was close, right? Well, okay, if it's priced at 200 and you think it needs uh, some new baseboard or you think some of the flooring needs to get replaced, well, what's that flooring worth? If we're confident that the home would appraise at the price that it is, why not offer a seller credit to get it home? And then guess what? Your people can make it worth that. And we know they're going to buy the house. They're not going to touch the floor. Right. They're going to put that money towards closing costs or towards vacate. Like that majority of the time it happens. Fine. How many times, you've been in this business long enough, you've relisted a house that you've sold. How many times was there something when they were buying the house the first time? We were going to fix it. We get to it. 
And then they move in. Life happens. I'm guilty of it. Hell, I got a broken hose bib at my own house. And I own, with my dad, we've got several rental properties that we're fixing stuff all the time. My wife's like, hey, dude, don't forget about the hose bib. And it's been there for six months. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're all guilty of it. Life happens. It shows up. But how many times have you sold the house? People are like, oh, we're going to do this, this, and this. You go back to relist it a few years later, and the, the stuff's still there. That's fine. But again, like, as agents, we have to think that way. I have to be willing to pick up the phone and call you and say, Tiffany, what would make this what would make this house work for your people? If it's the location, there's certain things we can't change. I can't pick it up and move it, but if it's the location, I mean price should be the easiest one to work through. Yeah. Right? What's Especially it right now, because in in my opinion, we have slowed. Yeah. Um we we have. If you haven't noticed, now there's a lot of people that when I when I mention this and I'm like, it's it has slowed for me. Someone that closes six deals in May is closing two. Mm-hmm. Y- you know, it's like prepare yourselves. But everyone that I've talked to is like, no, I'm still busy. Mm-hmm. I'm like, look, if you are an agent that sells six homes a year and you have sold an extra two this month, yes, you are busy. Busier than normal. Congratulations. Right? You are busy. <laughs> and but that's like, great. You the know? reality is we have slowed. Showings are down. Um, we actually just ran Inventory's the traffic up. report. Inventory is creeping its way. I mean, I, the last time I looked, I think we we're still at what, like five months, right around five months, four and a half, five months of inventory, which is still below where they'd like to consider it healthy. But I think that number will uh, continue to increase. Um, uh, but again, I think the most important part is, um, that conversation piece, like have the conversation. If somebody's willing to show the house, I just ask, right? But please, just give me better feedback. Or just right? some feedback at all. That would be fantastic. <laughs> Sorry, ran over. So are you are you looking to grow your team in the future, or are you, you're set? You're like, I'm good right now. I, I'm not looking for somebody. So when we ran our numbers for 2020, uh, our goal is to do 180 units, and we can get that done with three sales agents, a full-time assistant, and probably if we get to a point where uh, around the 67 to 75 sold number like if we've got that many going then we'd have a certain number of pendings we would look to have our assistant hire herself an assistant transaction okay. coordinator slash a marketing person correct. or whatever but okay. based on the numbers like you said you can handle about 60 right before your head feels like it's going to spin off so for us we can handle about 60 each and then right based on that we'll know at a certain point we need to be prepping for hopefully headed into spring you know when things are revving up and we've got a ton hitting the market bring that transaction coordinator in and that should be able to get us home. But again, the thought behind that is protecting that net number. I think that's the most important thing. Like, what are you taking home? What is each member of our team taking home? We've set out our budget. We know how much we're going to spend both fixed and variably. And if we hit our numbers or when we hit our numbers, we know what we'll be spending. So it's not a surprise. It's not a shock. Um, What, um, what makes you passionate about this? And my last question Great question for Sheridan. How do you stay so, so positive doing this? Some days are hard, you know, and I have I have never, ever talked to this man, and he's in a bad mood. He doesn't feel good. He's always, like, high, high energy. He's super positive. How do you do it, and what makes you passionate about this? Um, well, I'll go personal. Um, do it. <laughs> which is hard for me. I don't like to open up a lot. Do it. <laughs> um, so me, myself, um, I haven't always been in, let's call it the healthiest state of life, right? Uh, I come from a background that involves some substance abuse and some addiction issues. And so uh, I decided to change my life uh, almost a decade ago. Um, and, you know, I know through... Um, I've, and, and it's hard for me to open up and say that. And it's, it's, you know, uh, I still practice a level of anonymity within that, but I think also, uh, people need to know, like, um, I could be, I could be dead, right? I have friends that I've buried. I have friends that had way better skill sets than I did who aren't here anymore. And so we talked about waking up and feeling unemployed. Uh, I wake up and feel unemployed, but very, very lucky, right. To have all these wonderful things in my life. So, um, I know, what other people are going through that they might not talk about it. And so I always try to just approach every situation is the person on the other end of the line. Can I be maybe the bright spot of that conversation for the day? And I try to bring that into difficult conversations as well, because I don't know what somebody's going through, but I know that if I can be positive and have energy, 
man, like that's gravitational, right? It, is. It, it can help maybe pull somebody out of the depths of that day. And for me, that's just how I try to approach it. What keeps me doing it is the feeling that I see that I see clients get uh, if they, you know, able to buy that next home that they really, really wanted or their family's growing. Like we have a chance to be a part of people's lives. People are welcoming, welcoming us into their lives and we get paid for it. And I spent a large portion of my life hoping that I could be a useful part of somebody's life. Um, and I chased a lot of things trying to find that. And I was able to pair a career with that opportunity that I always wanted. So for me, like it's, it's the best thing ever. I love it. Like I love real estate, but I could give a crap if I made whatever I make. Like the money thing Same. doesn't, I like, would, if I won up. the lottery, which I'm never going to, cause I don't <laughs> play the lottery. I've literally, number one, we're millennials and they, research shows that even if we did win the lottery or God forbid we get a trust, which is not going to happen, um, <laughs> our lives are not going to change. No. So I could literally wake up tomorrow and some dead uncle that I've never met before could give me millions. And people are like, what would you do if you won that? And I'm like, I don't know. Buy more leads. Like, yeah. I don't know. Like buy some I, would, properties. I would literally do this for free if I, I would literally do it for free. If I didn't, if I like had a, you know, trillion dollars in the bank, I would do it for free. Well, I think that's what separates people, right? I mean, uh, I would do this. Uh, the joy I get from helping people achieve their goals of home ownership or, you know, uh, the, the folks who maybe had to go through some credit opportunities to get to the table or to even get to the shop. Like, to me, that's what keeps me coming back. And again, like, I have an addictive personality. I love putting deals together. Again, I don't necessarily as much thrive on the commission's great, right? But the money's right. good for the good that you do with it, right? My wife and I have decided that we're going to donate money to things that we're passionate about. We know what it costs you us You have to a live. sober living house, don't mm -hmm. you? And that was something we decided probably a year and a half ago, like, um, I've lived in those type of sober living houses before. I know how nasty or how flop house feeling they yeah. can be. So we decided there was a house that came up. It was a good deal. Uh, we were like, Hey, let's either flip it or rent it. And, uh, I had some gentlemen that came into my life that presented me with an opportunity to put some people in the house. And, um, so we said, you know, let's try it. So we opened up, uh, a second one earlier this year. So we've got wow. two houses side by side that are sober living residences and there's 14 guys, two managers living in the house. Um, but that's completely funded out of started being funded by real estate, right. And investment properties. But now those homes are self-funding to do okay. another one. So I leave all the money there. It doesn't go to pay mine and Sydney's how whatever because real estate does that right. Because right, I'm focused right. on hitting these numbers. So for me to say I don't care how much I make would probably be a, a short sighted statement. I do care about the money, but it, it's because I understand the good that can come of the money. And once we started focusing on that, now I have more important things to pay attention to because it's not just affecting me. It can go towards helping other people. And I think for me, like that was the big thing. Like and this year, uh, I know we're running up on on the border here of time, but like this year. Uh, we decided that we are going to be a title sponsor for the Run for Recovery. So that's something okay. that I've shared some stuff about. The Shepherd's House is a men's 12-month sober living program that has a 5K. How do um, people find this? Is there a website? Yeah, like, how the, do they... the Shepherd's House or the Run? Or... Any of it, So yeah. you can go to shepherdshouseinc.com. That's for the Shepherd's House. If you know a male who is in addiction recovery or in need of, uh, you can contact them directly on their website. Um, they will help get that person into an inpatient facility and then can help with transferring them back to that sober living. Uh, as far as hours, you can look up uh, Pinmokin Park Recovery Homes. They're on Google. Uh, we're full currently, but again, once this baby hits the ground, I'm looking at buying another one because I know there's a need for it. I want to open a women's house. Um, I think that's something that is very, very much needed. There's not enough good, clean living. And, and that's the thing, like... I did it to where it's a house that I would live in. Okay. And that was my thing. Like, I didn't want it to be some nasty, uncomfortable place. Do you furnish them? We do. And okay. I gave people on the most recent one an opportunity to buy things off of a registry. Will you buy my house? <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about it. That maybe that can be one of those offline conversations. Uh, but I think we gave people an opportunity to sponsor beds, buy furnishings, so they okay. can say, this room is sponsored by Tiffany. Uh, and so we're very thankful for all the people who did that. Wow. Um, and, and that was kind of a cool way because everybody's touched by 
the disease of addiction and alcoholism in some way or another, and it's gotten a lot closer to home. So we want to give people a chance to be a part of that. But um, the run for recovery is r4rky.com. That'll be running in the last weekend of July this year, and we'll send some links out so people can see it. But those are things that we're passionate about. And I think when you have a bigger reason than just my next paycheck, that that kind of that that's what wakes me up and gets me going. So. And this has been so good. I can, I've sat here and talked to you for an hour. I could do another hour I with appreciate you. That. Um, thank you, everyone, for listening. I am Tiffany Jarvis. Um, this is the Woke Agent. You can find us on iTunes and soon on Spotify. Um, you can go to thewokeagent.com. But uh, thanks everyone for listening.